Our scripture reading this afternoon is in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, we're going to read the first 21 verses. The text of the sermon is verses 9 through 13. Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn. And his disciples were hungered, and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was hungered, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? Or have ye not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Now begins our text for the sermon. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days, that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole, like as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held a counsel against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. We read the word of God that far.
Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Sabbath controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees seems to have begun in Jerusalem sometime before the event of our text. When Jesus was down in Jerusalem for a Passover feast, you may recall that he went out to a place called the Pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day, and he saw there a lame man who was not able to get into the pool to be healed. And Jesus told the man to stand up and pick up his bed and walk. And he did. And it was the Sabbath day. And when the Pharisees found out that it was Jesus who had not only healed the man on the Sabbath, but had also told him to pick up his bed and walk, which was contrary to their strict Sabbath rules regarding bearing a burden on the Sabbath day, the scripture says in John that they sought to kill him. Sometime later, on another Sabbath day, perhaps while Jesus and his disciples were walking home from Jerusalem, back north to Galilee, that the disciples began to pluck ears of corn in the fields as they were walking on the Sabbath day. We find this account also in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 6. They were plucking what was probably not corn as we know it, but probably barley, and they were rubbing the grain together in their hands, crushing it, and they were eating it because they were hungry, and they did not have any food with them on their journey. The Pharisees were spying on them and noticed what was happening, and they came up to them and confronted Jesus and asked him why was he allowing his disciples to engage in this unlawful activity on the Sabbath day. Jesus responded by rebuking them for forbidding such an activity on the Sabbath day, when men are hungry to forbid them to do what they had to do to eat. And he said to them that if you would know what is meant in the scripture, I will have mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. And then Jesus and his disciples departed on their journey. Sometime later, perhaps the very next Sabbath day, after they had arrived back in Galilee, we're told in our text that Jesus went into one of the synagogues in one of the cities of Galilee. And Luke tells us that Jesus was teaching in the synagogue that day. The Pharisees were there too in the audience of Jesus, and they watched him to see what he would say and to see what he would do. What Jesus said that day and did filled them with even more fury, even more desire to kill him, to destroy him. But for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, what our Lord Jesus Christ did and said that day in the Sabbath, in the synagogue, teaches us something very important about the Sabbath day. So I call your attention 
to this mighty work of Christ, the healing of a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. Let's notice, first of all, the man with the withered hand. Secondly, the miracle of healing on the Sabbath day. And finally, the lesson of Christ about the Sabbath. As Jesus was in the synagogue on that particular Sabbath day, he looked out on his audience and he noticed a man who had a withered hand. And Luke tells us that it was his right hand that was withered. Now all of us recognize the importance of our hands. Although we probably take for granted what a wondrous and complex creation our hands are. And we probably take for granted, too, how thankful we ought to be for the simple fact of having healthy and strong hands. God himself has a hand, according to Scripture. And God, by his almighty and omnipresent hand, preserves and governs the whole of the universe and directs all things according to his perfect plan. He holds the whole world in his hands, his powerful hands. And God has created us human beings with hands as well. God created our hands to be that particular part of our body by which we would be able to carry out the thoughts of our mind the plans and purposes of our hearts, we would be able to carry those things out with our hands. With our hands, we can hold on to something. We can grip it. We can turn something. For example, if we go to work this week, we can grip our tools or the steering wheel of our vehicle. We can pick things up. We can push things. We can write papers or type them out on the computer. We can do so many things with our hands, But always we are realizing the thoughts and purposes of our mind through our hands. Jesus noticed this man in the synagogue with a withered right hand. For most of us, our right hand is our dominant hand, our most important hand. Not all of us, but most of us need our right hand to do the things that we need to do each day. But the right hand of this particular man was withered. The word for withered in the original language means dried up. It has the idea that your hand is full of this life sap that gives it strength and energy and power, but this man's hand was dried up, it was withered, it was shriveled up. And therefore, because there was no energy or life in his hand, it was powerless, he was without strength. He was totally and wholly incapable of doing anything with that hand. And it severely handicapped him in his day-to-day life. Now, this particular ailment of this particular man is given to us in the scriptures as a striking symbol of a spiritual reality, as all the miracles are. There's always a spiritual reality symbolized in that. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve with healthy, strong, spiritual hands. That is, he created them with the ability to do good 
to do spiritual good, to work, to do good work that was pleasing in the sight of God. They were able to work in the Garden of Eden with their hands, but now I'm referring spiritually from their souls. They were able to offer unto God the sacrifice of praise and everything that they did perfectly. But when they fell into sin, and we fell into sin with them, God cursed them, and he cursed all mankind by withering our spiritual hands so that our spiritual hands became paralyzed, shriveled up, powerless, wholly incapable of doing anything good and only inclined to all wickedness. In other words, we became totally depraved, unable to do any good. The withered hand of the man in the synagogue is a symbol of our spiritual inability in ourselves and by nature. Now, as Jesus was standing there in the synagogue, he noticed that there were Pharisees also in the audience. And the Pharisees, we are told, asked Jesus a question. Verse 10 of our text. They said, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? Now, if you look at the parallel account in Mark and Luke, there it says that the Pharisees watched him. Not that they asked him anything, but they watched him. And so, to harmonize the accounts, the idea could be that they didn't ask this question to Jesus out loud, but they were asking him this question in their minds, in their hearts, because we are told that Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking as they were sitting there in the synagogue that day. What were the thoughts of the Pharisees? They were watching Jesus. They were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath day. The thoughts of the Pharisees were full of gross, devilish pride and a legalistic view of the Sabbath day. They had a legalistic view of the whole of God's law, including the fourth commandment regarding the Sabbath day. They viewed the law of God as a set of do's and don'ts, as a code of precepts of outward behavior that we must keep and that we can keep to be righteous before God. But not only that, the Pharisees also added to the law of God their own laws, their own applications, their own interpretations, so that they developed an extensive and intricate code and system of rules and laws and regulations, particularly about the Sabbath day. The Pharisees then took that whole bulk of legislation about the Sabbath and they laid that heavy burden upon the shoulders of the people. And they watched the people. And they were enforcing those Sabbath laws. And they were expecting all of the people to follow their rules. One of those rules, one of many, was that it was forbidden to heal somebody on the Sabbath day unless the person's life was in grave danger. But in the case of the man with the withered hand, nobody could argue that his life was in grave danger and therefore they knew in their minds that it was forbidden for Jesus to heal that man that day. 
the Jews languished under that heavy burden of Sabbath legislation. They were not able to carry that burden. They constantly broke the laws and they lived in the constant fear of not only displeasing the Pharisees, but also of displeasing God. Because they had been taught, you must do these things to be righteous before God, and you must avoid doing those things on the Sabbath. The Pharisees themselves were full of devilish pride and arrogance. They thought that they were able to keep those laws. They thought that they did keep those laws. They thought that they were righteous before God because they kept all of these do's and don'ts with regard to the Sabbath day. So clearly the Pharisees sitting in the synagogue that day did not think that they were like this man with a shriveled hand. They did not think of themselves as men with shriveled spiritual hands, incapable of doing any good of themselves. But they thought of themselves as men with strong hands, with the ability in themselves to do the work of the law, to achieve their own righteousness. And they boasted in that. What about us? Are we like the Pharisees? Do we think that we have in ourselves strong hands? Do we like to boast in the strength of our hands, particularly our spiritual hands, that we have it in ourselves? We are able to do what needs to be done. We can accomplish our own righteousness. Do we think to ourselves that because we go to church twice every Sabbath day, we are faithful and diligent in our Sabbath attendance, we strive to keep the Sabbath day holy, that because we do those things, that makes us righteous before God? Or do we recognize ourselves to be that man with the withered hand in the synagogue? Do we recognize how weak we are, powerless, totally incapable in ourselves of doing anything good and in need of another righteousness of salvation. The Pharisees then and today are men who are within the community of the church but who are nevertheless utterly blind to their own sins. Just think of the Pharisees right there in the synagogue. They're sitting there watching Jesus, looking for a reason to accuse him because they have bloodthirsty hearts that want to kill and destroy him. Don't they know that God's law forbids killing, murdering, and murderous thoughts? And where is the love for the neighbor as themselves that they knew was included in God's law? They cared nothing about this man with his withered hand and how that infirmity, no doubt, greatly affected his day-to-day life. They didn't care. All they cared about was the rules that we have established and that we have been given must be followed. They were blind to their lack of love and their murderous thoughts. We're told in one of the parallel accounts 
in Luke 6, verse 8, that Jesus knew their thoughts. Remember, Jesus was the one teaching in the synagogue that day. And we are told, at that point, Jesus said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And the man stood up, right in the middle of the synagogue. And everybody turned their attention to him and watched to see what Jesus would do. But before Jesus did anything, he said a few things. He addressed the Pharisees, knowing their hearts. He said to them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? To save life or to kill? And when he asked that question, there was silence in the synagogue. You could hear a pin drop. Nobody said anything. And we're told in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, that as Jesus looked around the synagogue at the Pharisees sitting there in their self-righteous pride, he was angry and he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. And we're told that he exposed their hypocrisy in our text because Matthew tells us what else Jesus said. He said to them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Jesus knew the hypocrisy in their proud hearts. He knew that every single one of those Pharisees had sheep back home. They were wealthy men. They had sheep and goats. And he knew how much they counted dear and precious their possessions. And he knew that if one of those sheep would fall into a pit and be in danger on the Sabbath day, whether life-threatening danger or not, the Pharisees would no doubt dive into that pit, rescue their sheep, and pull it out. Because it was that important to them. It doesn't matter if it's the Sabbath day. There's an important thing I have to do here. And yet the Pharisees were looking to accuse Jesus of sin by lifting a man out of the pit of affliction on the Sabbath day by healing his withered hand. How much is a man better than a sheep? Jesus asked them, but they had no reply. They didn't care what Jesus had to say. They were waiting for him to do what they had decided was wrong to do so that they would have a grounds to kill him. That's all they cared about that day. They were totally blind and totally obsessed with nothing but killing Jesus. As the man was standing up there in the midst of the synagogue, Jesus continued to speak to the man now. He said to the man, Stretch forth thine hand, the withered hand, And the man suddenly could lift his hand and stretch it out. And his hand was filled with power and strength like never before. He was able to feel the life flow into his hand, into his fingers. He could flex them. He could feel them. He had strength in his hand once again. 
He could hold things. He could lift things and grip things and write things. He was going to be profitable again in his labors. He would no longer have this affliction to hinder him. What joy must have filled his heart. How he must have leaped for joy as he felt the strength return to his hand. A Sabbath day miracle. As I said earlier, the miracles of Jesus all point to spiritual realities. They all point to the wonder of salvation. And if the withered hand, the useless hand, points to our spiritually depraved nature, that we're unable to do anything good or right in God's sight, then the healing of that hand refers to the work of salvation in which Jesus restores to us the strength, the power, the ability to do good. Jesus did that miracle merely by speaking the word. There were no tricks, there was no magic, there was nothing but the spoken word of Christ, stretch forth thine hand, and the man was able to stretch forth his hand. That points us to the reality that the Lord Jesus Christ now and throughout the whole New Testament heals the spiritually shriveled up hands of all those on whom God determines to show mercy. And he does that by his word and spirit. And he does that on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is the day of miracles, spiritual wonders that Christ accomplishes through his word and spirit. Christ first comes to us by his regenerating spirit. Before he comes to us in the gospel, he regenerates our spiritually withered hands. He, he gives us, in principle, the strength and life of our soul. But then it is always through the preaching of the gospel. From that point on, in the church, on the Sabbath day, that Christ administers spiritual mercies to us, healing mercies, rejuvenating, revitalizing mercies in which he strengthens our spiritual hand. The Belgic Confession of Faith in Article 35 speaks of faith as the hand and mouth of the soul. The hand and mouth of the soul is faith. When Jesus healed the withered hand of that man, it was pointing to the reality that through the preaching of the gospel, Christ gives us the gift of faith. He gives us the spiritual hand of faith. Christ raises up men, and he sends them to us to preach the gospel. Just as Jesus was standing in the synagogue that day, preaching, teaching them about himself as the Messiah and Savior, now Christ sends men to stand up in the church and to preach Christ. That day, all the eyes were on Jesus. But in the church, he sends men to point all of our eyes to Jesus. The minister of the gospel is to point us to Jesus, to fasten our eyes on Christ, to speak of Christ as our strength and our salvation, our hope and our righteousness for life and for death. And Christ calls ministers not only to 
preach that gospel truth, but then to issue forth the call of the gospel. Stretch forth thine hand, Jesus said to the man. That was an imperative. That was a call. Stretch forth thine hand. And so the preaching of the gospel comes to us and says, stretch forth your hand. Christ has healed you. He has regenerated you. Stretch forth your hand. Grasp hold of Christ. Receive Christ and all of his benefits, all of his blessings and all of his healing mercies. Because there is salvation in no other. There is healing. There is forgiveness in no other. That's what Christ calls us to do. Embrace me. Believe in me. Trust in me. And rest in me for all of your righteousness and all of your salvation. Because you cannot do it yourself. Rest in me. To put it in different words, as he says in the previous chapter, Matthew 11. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Pharisees were teaching them that they had to keep all these rules. The Pharisees laid this heavy yoke of bondage on them. Jesus says, no, come to me, all you who labor under that heavy yoke. Trust in me and find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And thou shalt find true Sabbath rest for your souls. It can be found in no one else and nowhere else. Christ raises up men to preach that gospel and issue that call. But even with the issuing of that call of the gospel, we're not able to believe. We're not able to stretch forth our hand and grasp hold of Christ and embrace him and receive him. But it's Christ who does that. Christ who through the gospel works in us so that we believe, so that we stretch forth our hand, so that we embrace him and receive him. Christ is the one who does it all from beginning to end. He fills our spiritual souls with strength so that we are able to believe, and we do actually believe. Every time the gospel is preached to the child of God, Christ speaks to us himself, And the fruit of the mighty voice of Christ is that we stretch forth our hands and lay hold on him for dear life and receive him and all his blessings. That's the gift of faith. The miracle of Christ that he does on the Sabbath day, every Sabbath day, revitalizing our faith, strengthening our withered hands and souls, also produces the fruit of good works. When our spiritually shriveled hands are healed, when we're given the gift of faith and we receive Christ in the Lord's day, in the church, then we go out into the world all week long with spiritually stronger hands, able by the grace of God to follow him, to do good work, labor in the kingdom of God in thankfulness to God for all that he has done and all that he is 
bestowed upon us. That's the Sabbath day miracle. Now, in this particular event and in these controversies with the Pharisees, the Lord Jesus teaches us certain lessons about the Sabbath day. Many people today in the Christian church believe and teach that Jesus abolished the Sabbath day. They even refer to these incidents, they think, as proof that Jesus abolished the Sabbath day. Jesus did not abolish the Sabbath day. In fact, Jesus established it. And he teaches us some very important things about it. We notice in the passage that we read, Matthew 12, verse 12, that Jesus spoke this statement of truth to the whole congregation that day. It is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. And by that, Jesus makes clear the Sabbath day continues, and it is lawful to do well on it. Notice two important truths that our Lord teaches us about the Sabbath day in this event. First of all, Jesus teaches us by his own example that God's will for us is that we rest on the Sabbath day, particularly by diligently frequenting the church of God, the house of God, to hear his word, to take the sacraments, to pray, to give our offerings. We join ourselves to the congregation of believers and their seed. That's God's will for us. Jesus teaches us that by his example. Not only in our text, but also elsewhere, when we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we notice that on the Sabbath day he went to church. Where was Jesus on this Sabbath day? He was in the synagogue. He was in the house of God. He was there to preach and to teach. The others were there to hear the word of God. They were all there to worship God. Jesus himself kept the Sabbath day holy. Jesus kept the Sabbath day holy for us who fail to do that, who fail to do it perfectly, who fail to do it in and of ourselves. Jesus kept the Sabbath day perfectly throughout the whole of his life. And that's the active obedience of Christ that is imputed to us in our justification. There must be an active obedience to the Sabbath day for us to be righteous before God. The Pharisees were right about that. But we don't have it. Christ has accomplished that righteousness for us. He kept the Sabbath day holy perfectly throughout his whole life. And what about our Sabbath desecrations? What about our Sabbath sins? What about our Sabbath failures? Well, he took those all upon himself. He took the heavy burden of the wrath of God against our sins for breaking the Sabbath. He became sin for us who knew no sin. 
that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And he carried that load of Sabbath sins to the cross. And he gave himself for us. On the cross, on the cross, he did the work, the laboring and the toiling under that heavy, heavy burden that we could never carry. With blood and sweat and tears, he poured out his soul and suffered the agony of being forsaken by God. He descended into the hell, the eternal hell that we deserve for breaking the Sabbath day even once. And he finished the hard, hard labor of salvation. And then he entered into his rest. On the first day of the week, he rose from the dead as the victor over death and the grave. He entered into his Sabbath rest. He entered into everlasting rest. And it was the first day of a new week. And it was at that moment, the turning point of all history, when salvation was accomplished, that God changed the day of the Sabbath from the seventh to the first day of the week. And from that time forward, God commands us to keep the Sabbath day holy on the first day of the week. That we remember that day and that we diligently enter into the house of God to rest there. Because this is where rest takes place. There's no rest out in the world. As we sang earlier from Psalm 84, one day in thy courts is better than a thousand days in the tents of wickedness. You can spend a thousand days out there in the tents of sin, seeking for rest for your soul, looking for peace, looking for happiness. It's a vain pursuit. But one day in the house of the Lord, one day sitting under the gospel of peace, hearing the glad tidings of salvation through Christ, that's where we find rest. That's where Christ heals our withered and shriveled hands. That's where he gives faith and life and strength. There are times of emergency when we cannot come to church. There are times when the sheep falls into the pit. As Jesus puts it in our text. And as he puts it elsewhere as well. There are times when the power goes out in the barn. When there are emergencies that we must tend to. And we may tend to them with a free conscience. God lays no yoke of bondage upon us. As Jesus says in Mark, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not some tyrannical master or overlord that beats down on us and oppresses us and abuses us and forces us to adhere to rules that God does not require of us. The Sabbath was made for us, for our refreshment, for our rest, Which means when those things do happen, when the sheep falls into the pit, when we're walking through the fields of corn and 
Due to our own negligence, we're unprepared. We don't have anything to eat. We have to do something in order to eat. We have to do something to rescue our sheep. Then we wish we didn't have to do that. We wish we could be in God's house. That's where we want to be. Because that's where we find rest for our souls in the gospel. That in the first place, our Lord Jesus teaches us by his example that God requires us to attend church on the Sabbath day. In the second place, our Lord teaches by his example that God permits us to do well on the Sabbath days. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. It is lawful to save life on the Sabbath day. It is lawful to heal on the Sabbath day. The rule that the Pharisees had created, they thought, as an application of the Scriptures, was a wrong application. It was a wrong interpretation when they said that it is unlawful to heal on the Sabbath day unless your life is in danger. God never said that. They had made that up. Jesus teaches us now in our text, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. It is lawful to heal. It is lawful to help. It is lawful to do good, to save life, even if a person's life does not hang in the balance. It is lawful to do acts of mercy on the Sabbath day. Now, we understand at this point that's not a license to skip church every Sunday with the idea that we're going to go around about healing people and helping people instead of going to church because we've already seen the, purpose, the, the, the custom of Jesus was to go to church on the Sabbath day as much as possible. That was his desire, and that ought, ought to be ours. But Jesus is teaching us that in addition to going to church on the Sabbath day. We ought to do well, we ought to do good, and we may. Not only is it lawful, but it's proper and good to perform acts of mercy on the Sabbath day. Many of us have been brought up with the custom of going to church twice on the Sabbath day and then spending the rest of the day at home with our families or engaging in fun, pleasurable activities all afternoon. But our Lord is teaching us here The Sabbath day is a good day for you to do good works. The Sabbath day is not just a day to spend with our families. The Sabbath day is a good day to go to the hospital and visit the sick, to go to the orphanage and visit the fatherless, to bring a comforting word to them, to go to the nursing home and sing to the lonely and the widows. It's a day to do good, to do well, to do things that aren't necessarily pleasurable to our own selves. It's a day to pick up the phone and call that person who is suffering and afflicted 
to bring a meal to them in their needs, to comfort the dying, to go to the funeral home when someone has passed away, and to show our condolences to those who grieve. Our Lord teaches us that the Sabbath day is a good day to do good works in addition to all the other days of the week. And so what our Lord teaches here, too, means that it's not wrong to work in a hospital, to work in a nursing home, to work in an institution of mercy, and even to do that on the Sabbath day. But to those who do work in such places, there ought to be the desire the longing as much as possible to go to church, to not have to work on the Sabbath day, but to be able to come to church and find rest for our souls. We're pretending to be wiser than God if we think that we're going to spend every Sabbath day away from God's house, helping other people. We need to be helped. We need to experience rest. We need to receive the gospel for our souls as well. And that being said, it's not unlawful for us who might have such a calling in life when we are on call to labor in those places. But then we're not laboring because we're trying to earn money. We're laboring out of a thankful heart of love for God, desiring to show love also to our neighbors, to show mercy to the sick, the dying, the suffering, as our Lord did when he healed the man with the withered hand. Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath, which means he's our Lord with regard to the Sabbath. Whatever we might think about the Sabbath, he is our Lord. We must bow the knee to him. We must look to his example and his teaching. We must seek to keep the Sabbath day holy as he did, to follow his example in joyful gratitude for all that he has done for us. Amen. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we give thanks to thee for the Sabbath day. So often we consider it to be, because of our sinful nature, something that we must do. But help us to see it as something that we may receive, as a great blessing every single week, to begin the week in the house of God, to receive rest for our souls, to be rejuvenated in our spirits through the gospel. And use that then, Father, to strengthen our withered hands, that we might lay hold upon Christ truly and sincerely, and that we might also abound in all good works of mercy and love to the poor, sick, suffering, the dying, and all those in need.